This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. This is your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week we come to you <clears throat> with the health care information that you'll need so that you can fight for your health care freedom. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is the sponsor of the Doctor's Lounge, and our organization has been working to preserve the doctor-patient relationship and to fight for your health care freedom for you, whether you know it or not. And we give you that information each week and bring you in to the lounge so that you can listen to the conversations that doctors are having amongst themselves in doctors' lounges all across the country. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation can be uh, found on the on the Internet at www docs for the number four patient care dot so let me start again docs for patient care foundation dot org or d4 pc foundation dot org we need your help we need you to uh uh look w- at what we're doing and um and familiarize yourself with our site we have our revised prescription for health care on the uh uh, website. We need your financial support. So uh, if you enjoy this show, and I want to thank all of the listeners for supporting this show each and every week, uh, downloading it and sharing it with their friends. We would not be where we are without your um, help and support, but we need it at the foundation level. So please um, go to our website and uh, and give generously so that we can continue to do our work and uh, bring you the uh, quality health care information and uh, shows that we do each week. Um, today, I have uh, the privilege and honor of uh, uh, bringing into the doctor's lounge a, uh, a, a gentleman who has been working in health care for quite some time. Um, Dr. Robert Grayboys is a, uh, a senior research fellow uh, and healthcare economist at the Mercatus Center at the George Mason uh, University. Um, he has been working on uh, health care for um, uh, quite some time. He's written extensively. His um, uh, major area of, uh, of expertise is on the certificate of need laws. He's written the book uh, Fortress and Frontier in American Healthcare and uh, is going to uh, be one of our keynote speakers at the upcoming meeting that we're going to be putting on in Dallas on October 14th and 15th, which you can learn about, again, by going to the uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation website. If you're a physician out there, um, this is a must-attend meeting. It is free. It has almost 12 CME credits, Category 1. You can't get that kind of value, so please sign up before you are closed out of this incredibly uh, informative and important meeting. Um, Bob, welcome into the Doctor's Lounge. Howdy. Glad to be uh, be with you. So just to uh, get started, wahoo-wah. <laughs> wahoo-wah indeed. Uh, Dr. Grayboys is a, uh, a graduate of the University of Virginia, and, uh, and he... Uh, and uh, my son share a similar pedigree. He's uh, 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 Dr. Grayboys is a um, 
a graduate of the University of Virginia and uh, has gotten his master's degree from Columbia University where my son currently is getting his master's degree. So so I root for the same places where my money has gone and, and you share those those uh, that same pedigree. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm very uh, excited that you're going to uh, be one of our keynote speakers in uh, Dallas in October at our conference on direct primary care. And your topic, Fortress and Frontier in American Healthcare, which is the same title of your book, is uh, the. Uh, my understanding is that um, the talk that you're going to give is uh, how aversion to risk and deference to medical insiders is what is prevalent today during the healthcare debates. And instead of stressing the ideal of global. I'm sorry, the idea, ideal goal of better health care for more people at lower cost on a continuous basis. So can you elaborate on this and give our listeners a snapshot of uh, what you're planning on discussing at the uh, upcoming conference? Sure. So the thesis of, uh, of that book and uh, subsequent writings is that the real divide in American health care is not between left and right, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican. That um, most part, both sides have been uh, have been in what I call the fortress. Uh, the fortress is this this notion that public policy and health care should have two purposes. One is to imagine every terrible thing that could ever happen to you in the course of health care and throw all of your resources at trying to prevent all bad things from happening. Uh, and secondly, it is to protect insiders uh, in healthcare, and that would include doctors and hospitals, insurers, pharmaceutical companies, you name it, uh, insurers, uh, from outside competitors. And it's the exact opposite of what we've seen in the last, uh, certainly in the last 25 years in information technology, uh, where we've been in what I call the frontier. The frontier is um, uh, the notion that um, public policy should allow people, both producers and consumers, to take calculated risks, and furthermore, that we should uh, we should allow considerable competition from outsiders uh, against insiders. So, uh, you know, the great developments that we've uh, that have changed the world in IT didn't necessarily come from the giants from. I don't know, IBM and Honeywell and, and those companies, uh, they came from people's garages. And, in fact, they came from lots and lots of people's garages competing with one another. Uh, there's a little statistic I ran across recently that in, I think it was 1999, Google was the 28th search engine to be introduced that year, which just tells you something about uh, the processes of competition in IT. Wow. So it seems, um, Bob, that that you mentioned uh, information technology uh, is uh, is uh, antithetical to what's happening in healthcare, and yet we have the um, healthcare IT, which is just the opposite. Do you care to comment on that? Well, are you talking about electronic health records, that sort of thing, and and the legislation for um, cert instead of. Instead of healthcare technology or, or electronic medical records percolating up through people's garages, as you yep. as you stated, we're we're um, as physicians being told what we need to do in a top-down, uh, heavy-handed manner. Correct. 
So uh, I think, as I think most people do, that ultimately electronic health records are going to be extraordinarily important. Um, uh, I, I would love to have you know, all of the information on my health in a fast, easy, easily digested, easily uh, transferable format so that when I go to a doctor 3,000 miles from my home, uh, the doctor can instantly have uh, you know, have information, sufficient information to deal with me, almost on a par with uh, with the doctor with whom I have a, an ongoing relationship. <clears throat> and that's, I think, what a lot of people think the current EHRs, EMRs, uh, will will be about, but they're not. Uh, currently, electronic medical records are being handed down from Washington. They are really focused more on insurers and employers and payments than they are on your actual health. Uh, and there's a design principle. In fact, I'm writing something on this right now. Um, my own belief is that uh, n- no system of electronic uh, medical records will succeed unless doctors and probably also patients immediately find them useful uh, and, I'll even say, enjoyable to use. Uh, that it makes their life easier, makes their uh, makes them better doctors, uh, and that's simply not the case right now. I think most doctors view EMRs that they have as uh, an intrusion, um, a waste of their time, a head scratching. Why am I doing this instead of talking to my patient? Uh, things happened in opposite ways. The the web was not, um, you know, all the apps that are on my iPad were not handed down by the Federal Department of Apps uh, and mandated uh, that I use them. Again, Google was one of, you know, in that particular year, you know, I don't know if it was the last, but several dozen search engines, and it ultimately won out, uh, not because anyone said you must use Google, but because uh, they put it in a format that worked, that was useful, that was kind of fun to use. Um, it was a little story. <clears throat> uh, I think it was it was in one of the Freakonomics books, uh, and it was about an emergency room doctor in at George Washington University. He wanted to build a database of what works in an ER and what doesn't work. There really was no systematic literature on on, on you know, what evidence on what's good. Uh, he knew doctors did not want to fill in his request for data, so what he did was he placed a computer in the emergency room and put a sign on it saying, do not touch. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the other doctors said, well, I'm going to touch it. And he had designed it so that it, when you touched it, it was actually kind of instructive and entertaining and interesting to feed in the data. And ultimately he created... Um, you know, a, the, the industry standard database on what works in ERs. You know, we can talk about, I, I can give you some other examples of companies I know that I think are really uh, essentially producing the real EMRs that will work in the future, which are not the ones that doctors hate. It's very interesting. So, so basically, what you've just said is if you want something to succeed in healthcare, just tell people that they can't do it. <laughs> well, that that just sums up what doctors are all about. But what you've what you've really touched on, I think, is um, 
the topic of one of your um, recent uh, articles, which is how Uber will redefine healthcare. And I and I found that very interesting, and I and I wanted to uh, uh, challenge you a little bit about that. But but why don't you uh, um, explain what what the the thesis of of that uh, article was about? Sure. So it, it was a, a, first of all, it was a response to um, uh, I'm on Twitter. <clears throat> uh, if anyone out there is on Twitter, I'm constantly. I don't know, spewing things on, on healthcare and technology. So if you want to follow me on it, I'd love to have you. Uh, What's your handle? Uh, Robert, and then an underscore, and then my last name, which has to be spelled correctly, which is G-R-A-B-O-Y-E-S, but Robert underscore Gray Boys. So... What I should have you, done what, a simpler one, but I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> well, I'm at Dr. Hal Atlanta for those of you who who wish to follow me, and and I would love you to uh, do if so. I'm not, I I will. So, w- one of the things that you had mentioned in there, Bob, is that the um, you you are looking at healthcare um, more as a transactional. Um, uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, response rather than a relationship response uh, between a uh, doctor and a patient, and uh, we're we're coming up to a hard break right now. So what what I'd like you to do in the next segment is to explain that a little bit because it it seems a little bit counterintuitive at sure. least to to a physician and especially those in the Docs for Patient Care Foundation who who believe that the doctor patient relationship is really the the crucial um, uh, aspect of of a healthcare relationship. So yes. so and we'll, I don't disagree and I look forward to talking about that next segment. Okay, well, you and uh, we'll talk about that when we get back into the doctor's lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. 
My guest this morning is Dr. Robert Grayboys of the Mercatus Center at George Mason University, and we are talking about uh, uh, a bunch of health care issues. The, the um, topic on the table right now was his most recent, uh, or one of his recent articles, um, that, uh, that looked at uh, um, health care in in a different way and uh compared it to uh Uber and we uh and we were talking about the doctor patient relationship and how that seemed not to come across as a major uh important part of the uh of the transactional relationship according to this uh article so so please please go on Bob and and, and elaborate sure so so yes no it I, I imagine that the doctor-patient relationship will um, forever be uh, an absolutely crucial element. But right now, the doctor-patient relationship includes the doctor doing a lot of what will ultimately be viewed as rote activities uh, that I think distract the doctor from using using his or her real cognitive power, the places where doctors indispensable. So... Uh, the reason I mentioned Twitter was that this this came from uh, uh, there's a fellow that I uh, uh, he I, I don't know he's a Twitter pal of mine Tom Valenti who runs a uh, uh, runs forthright health management in the Midwest and he wrote an article a good article in TechCrunch saying there will never be an Uber for healthcare because healthcare is not a transaction business it is a relationship business. So I don't know, Tom. Kind, I, I mentioned him that I was going to write a rejoinder, and, and uh, he kindly let me use his name in it. Anyway, so what I said was, no, there actually there are there will be lots and lots of Ubers of healthcare, and in fact, there already are, and I enumerate some of them in the article. And by the way, you can find this article at uh, at our website at mercatus.org. So just go to mercatus.org and then uh, search on. Uh, my name and Uber, it should pop right up. So what I said was that um, the right now the doctor-patient relationship is absolutely critical. I agree with, uh, with Tom on that. But it would be a better world if it were the case that that relationship were less important, that it were less crucial, because what it means if I am wholly dependent upon a doctor who holds my health in his or her mind, then that means I'm going to get less than ideal care if I need a doctor when I'm traveling, if I need a doctor when, uh, when my own doctor is asleep or away or with someone else. Uh, and the fact is, with modern information technology, with appropriate the sort of electronic medical records I was talking about, uh, we can encapsulate information that right now only my doctor has because she knows me and no other doctor does in the same way. But that information can be uh, can be stored electronically, put into forms that are immediately appealing. So I, there's a paragraph. I'll, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll read one Please. paragraph, which is Uber's true. Well, Tom had said in his article that Uber is about ease and convenience, and that's not what uh, it's important in healthcare. And I, I, I disagreed somewhat with Tom's observation on what Uber's essence is. And I said Uber is also about safety. It's about uh, 
congeniality. It's about the fact that, um, I said in the article, when your daughter gets into a stranger's car at 3 in the morning in the dark somewhere, uh, she knows the person's name, license plate, the make of car. There's an electronic record being kept. So it's really about safety. So what I said in the article was, Uber's true essence is this. It accumulates a vast amount of information on the micro-details of cities, overlays that information with real-time data on prospective drivers, riders, road conditions, reduces staggeringly complex decision trees to algorithms, and instantly presents drivers with a manageable number of highly intuitive options. So what it does is it, get res- it gets rid of the learning curves and fixed costs that, uh, that used to be demanded by a taxi driver. Uh, and what it does is it really takes what used to be a complex relationship, digitizes it, stores it, and makes it transferable. So I can get into uh, a car, you know, I've fed in my information. I don't have to give the taxi driver the route anymore. I don't have to pull out my money. Uh, I don't have to wonder who this person is or where they're taking me. Um, I've had Uber drivers who don't even live in the city uh, in which they're driving me. Uh, I had a young kid who was visiting his parents. He said they were at work. So he thought he'd go out and drive around Washington and uh, pick up passengers in a city that he's never been to. Well, ultimately, this is this is a lot of medicine uh, is going to be able to be digitized and stored in this way. So I was at a I held a dinner the other night. I invited in New York City some of the absolute top people in medicine and venture capitalists and uh, medical school professors. Some of the table asked the question: How much of what we currently do in medicine will ultimately be uh, reduced to uh, digitized and turned into algorithms that a machine can do instead of a doctor. The guesses at the table, the bottom guess was about 80%. The top guess was 97.5%. Uh, there are, right now, in some, some ways, IBM's Watson computer is already learning to, um, to diagnose in some areas better than any physician on Earth. And I think this actually is good for the physician-patient relationship, because what you're going to be doing is you're going to be freeing the doctor from these things that can be mechanized and let the doctor focus on things that can't be mechanized. And I think that'll be better for the doctors, that'll be better for the patients, uh, that'll be better for health. I'm somewhat reminded I'm old enough that I uh, my schooling predated calculators, Slide rules. And, uh, what's that? <laughs> slide rules. Yep, yep, yep. I was at the tail end of the slide rule world. Me too. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I, my father uh, taught me at some point to do square roots by hand. And, of course, we used to do all of our calculations by hand. And when calculators came in, the teachers were horrified that, oh, you, you'll lose all your intuition about math and we should not use these and you should test you without them. And ultimately, we realized, you know what? Just punch in the square root on the calculator. It's not really detracting from my knowledge of the math. Uh, you're just simply automating what was a long, tedious, error-prone process and leaving me free to actually think about the mathematical models I was building. 
when I was in grad school, similarly, I had to do a lot of calculus in writing my dissertation, and I spent inordinate amounts of time hand-doing uh, hand uh, calculus. Now I can just punch it into my machine, and you know what? There really is no loss of that. Now I can focus on what's the need of what I'm doing rather than going through these long mechanical processes. We're talking about tools, really, and it's, that's, yep. that's what you're saying. And... Um, you know, I think that that the, you're right. The uh, tools exist, like the Uber-like tools are are currently um, being developed. How to find patients lower cost options um, at at off hours for testing, for example, is is a great example of of how how an Uber-like tool can be used. And I think that the um, the thing about uh, about what what your the the gist of of the article about uh, using Uber? I think really what you're you're talking about, and and what doesn't come across in the article is that that uh, what we really need is a, a better way. And you said this earlier in the show of um, of uh, capturing information, and uh, mm-hmm. whether or not that's information that's stored on the cloud on each patient's medical record or they carry around their own digitalized medical wallet that they can go from, you know, their regular doctor and carry with them if they're out of town and go to a doctor in a, in a, in a different city so that they can get the kind of care that they need if they have a problem. That's really what's lacking right now where we need to go. Yeah, and I mentioned in the article one of the re- really interesting companies I've run across. Uh, I mean, I, if, you, if anyone reads the article... I list, uh, I don't know, five or six of what I think are the current Ubers of healthcare. And by the way, I have great fun because I teach, uh, I teach at a couple of medical centers, and I, my students are mid-career doctors and nurses, and I introduce them to some of these um, apps and devices and techniques and things like direct primary care. And what's most interesting is when I speak to my students or when I speak to you know, elite audience of insurance administrators and medical conferences, most of those in attendance have never heard of any of the things I'm talking about, hmm. which means that there's a lot of easy, low-hanging fruit for right. improvement. But one of the companies that I'm really interested in is a, is a little company called Recovery Record, based in uh, Silicon Valley. Recovery Record is has a you know, roughly thirty year old CEO who founded it a few years ago. Um, a brilliant, charming young woman from Australia uh, who started this company for patients with eating disorders. And what she noted in developing her app was that all eating disorder therapies consist of patients carrying around big clunky log books and filling in the blanks all day of what am I eating, what exercise, what's my mood, etc. And two things, it's inconvenient and secondly, um, it's embarrassing because half the time when you're sitting in a restaurant filling in things, there are people, at least you have a sense that there are people in the restaurant who know exactly what you're doing uh, and you'd rather that not be the case. So she digitized it, put it in the form of an app, which you can find at recoveryrecord.com. And so the patient just sits there tapping on a smartphone. So first of all, there's no clunky books to carry around. Secondly, no one knows what you're doing. Uh, 
Uh, and But the big thing, the important thing is she's got now 350,000 patients and 10,000 therapists <clears throat> excuse me, linked on this network. And all of these people are continually tapping information. Now, all that information is being accumulated. Uh, she's got uh, data experts uh, doing Bayesian analysis on it and uh, looking for patterns. What works, what doesn't, what triggers uh, uh, a bad period and what, uh, what triggers a good period. Uh, and in ways that the therapist who is not with the patient 24-7, uh, the app is. And so the app is continually looking at the data and suddenly realizing some algorithm that says this patient is in trouble, at which point it sends a signal to the therapist saying, yeah, you need to talk to this patient. This, this one's having trouble, probably could use, uh, use some help. Coming up to a hard break, Bob. In sure. Just a we'll couple finish minutes. when we get the next one. Okay. Well, we're going to finish this story about uh, one of the new apps in healthcare mm-hmm. that Dr. Grayboys is telling us about when we get back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Are your health insurance premiums going up? You are not alone. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org to understand why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. This is Grace Marie Turner, President of the Galen Institute. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, with my guest today, Dr. Robert Grayboys. You can follow him on Twitter at Robert underscore Grayboys. It's G-R-A-Y-B-O-Y-E-S. And why? No, why? I'm so <laughs> I'm sorry. G. Uh, how bad of, of me to say that? G R A. B O Y B. Let me say that again. G R A B O Y E S. And um, so follow him on Twitter. Follow him on the uh, Mercatus uh, website at uh, mercatus.org. And uh, he writes extensively on healthcare issues that we're discussing today. Please finish your story about the uh, about the uh, uh, Uber type of uh, app that called uh, Recovery Record. 
Sure. So Jenna Treegarthen, who's the CEO, has created this app for people with eating disorders. And 350,000 patients and 10,000 therapists are tapping information 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And what this does is builds her, from what I understand, the largest database on eating disorders in the world. And also, uh, she tells me, the most successful uh, therapeutic record. What I think she is doing is she, this is how you actually build a useful, viable electronic medical record. In essence, she's doing it because, again, no one is telling these patients, you must tap into this thing. Patients are doing it because it's useful, it's kind of entertaining, uh, it's designed to be easy to do, useful. Both the, the patients and the therapists can see the purpose of it immediately. Uh, also, because you've got all of this data pouring in constantly, it evolves. If the data engineers say, you know, this would be a useful thing to add to it. This is uh, data that we haven't been collecting, but here's a good, re a good, uh, good record to add to it. Well, that happens. Uh, but it is growing, evolving, and it is based upon its immediate utility to patients and therapists. It builds organic. It builds organically fail. instead What's of that? it builds organically rather than being Correct. legislated. Correct. And, Absolutely. And that's and that's what we keep saying on this show that if the uh, that if we just get the government out of the way and let uh, the the uh, the free market develop healthcare medical records. Doctors will be lining up for these records just like they line up outside of an Apple store for a new iPhone. Yeah. And, uh, There's it, another company I've dealt with, Augmetics, out in, uh, out in San Francisco. They have a technique where a doctor doing an examination wears Google Glass. The doctor has no computer, no iPad, nothing, never touches anything, uh, uh, looks at the patient the whole time. And the entire encounter is being live streamed to people in the back office who compile the EMR in real time. By the time the patient and doctor are through, the EMR is ready. The doctor never has to sit down in the afternoon and spend time doing it. What's the name of this company? Augmetics, A-U-G-M-E-D-I-X. It's in beta testing. A number of hospitals are trying it out now. And what they found is that a doctor using this system can roughly double his or her productivity, can see twice as many patients or spend twice as much time with each patient. The doctors love it. The patients love it. The, the doctor is paying attention to them, not a machine. Um, so yet another thing that takes away the burden of building a useful EMR. I love it. That sounds incredible and something that... Uh I will definitely look into. So, so Dr. Grayboys, I would like to change gears because I would be remiss if I had you on the show and we did not talk about the topic that you are most well-known for, which is Certificate of Need. Well, I don't think I'm... I've written a little bit about it, but I, actually that's not my, my major thrust. We have a couple of other scholars at Mercatus who are very big on that. Uh, Chris Koopman, uh, with whom I work, uh, and Tom Stratman, they've, they've done the real 
heavy lifting on certificate at, True. at Mercatus. They have. Uh, I just mainly stand on their shoulders. Uh, <laughs> on um, well, well, nonetheless, I would love I would love to uh, have you opine about it and pick your brain. So, so. Um, this this is a topic that is very important uh, to the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. We um, support the work of Mercatus and others who are fighting back against certificate of need. Um, we've talked about this extensively on on the show. Um, you uh, you don't I don't think need to elaborate on on what it is. We've we've talked about it um, as I said extensively. Um, but briefly, if you can uh, uh, just uh, let those who have not heard this previously on the show or new listeners know what certificate of need is, um, that would be great. And, and I'd love to um, get your opinion on whether or not um, in uh, 2016 there appears to be maybe a crack in the wall of certificate of need. Sure. Well, I'll include certificate of need in a broad category. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I have argued, and I will have this argument uh, very often with uh, state legislators, or, or I'll have a discussion with them, that for all of the furor over, <coughs> excuse me again, uh, the Affordable Care Act and federal policy, which is extraordinarily important, don't get me wrong, but the states have enormous power to improve things, and the states are actually... Uh, often the uh, equally culpable, equally serious violators of free market principles. Uh, And in particular, interestingly, the more conservative states, including the one, you know, that I live in, you're sitting in, uh, can be some of the greatest impediments. So certificate of need was an idea that before a hospital can add beds or build a new hospital or even in my state buy a CAT scan machine they have to beg permission from the state and say may we please buy a CAT scan and so then the state goes through a, a very very expensive process to apply for this and they say well we're going to look around and see whether you need a CAT scan machine and I will caricature the process somewhat slightly then they look around and they go to the hospital across the street And the hospital across the street says, well, no, they don't need one. We've already got one. And the state says, no, you can't have it. Um, And sometimes it has terrible ramifications. My colleagues have documented a case where a baby died because a hospital had been unable to purchase equipment they had been wanting for years. Um, So there was a notion decades ago... um, that if you had this, uh, you would you would essentially be granting a little bit of monopoly power to the hospital. They have more money; they can give more charity care. Except that it doesn't actually happen. That's the purported purpose. It doesn't actually work. What it does is it slows down the um, slows down the the process of innovation. It slows competition. But there is a whole slew of laws like this. So. States can be very, very restrictive on the scope of practice, allowing nurse practitioners and optometrists and um, therapists of all sorts to do, <clears throat> to practice to the extent of their capabilities. Um, you know, doctors for 
for some altruistic reasons and for some not so altruistic reasons are no that's our turf don't touch it uh same with uh same with general hospitals versus specialty hospitals uh there's also a progressive era uh notion called the corporate practice of medicine which really uh, the the ultimate quote on it was that the doctor is not should medicine should not be a business it is a social instrument and they wanted to essentially squeeze good business practice out of the practice of medicine and sort of divorce it from that. Uh, so there's a, a whole slew of these um, these state regulations, and the states could today change these, drop these, and really speed up the process of of innovating and and improving the market. They don't, and um, so. A lot of my colleagues or a lot of the people I talk to will say, if we can just get it away from the federal government, let the states handle it, all will be well. And I'm not very optimistic on that. <laughs> right. it's, that's true. So so uh, there have been um, attempts to try to undermine certificate of need laws in various states. You mentioned uh, the state I'm in, Georgia. It's, it's, uh, uh, oh, you're in Georgia. That's right. Uh, I I was actually talking about Texas, although Georgia's had its problems too. Well, Georgia has has um, big problems, and right now there's a court case pending um, that uh, that is challenging certificate of need laws. Um, uh, two of the uh, doctors in Georgia, whom I know, are are uh, uh, bringing suit against the state of Georgia because of their. Uh, frustration in trying to expand their one um, room surgery center into two rooms mm-hmm. and and they're being challenged by three hospitals because they're so threatening to these three hospitals to in, in expand their their uh, their little uh, operation from one room to two rooms and so so do you think that uh, the biggest uh, opportunities are in the courts? Are they uh, working at trying to persuade legislators? Where do you think, where do you think uh, the, uh, the biggest opportunity for gain is? Because we believe that, uh, that this is where individuals can make a difference by, by trying to pressure legislators to, uh, to uh, um, uh, change these laws because it's artificially raising the prices and un- unnecessarily raising prices when you're you're uh, restricting competition in this manner. Yeah, I don't know what which political strategy is uh, the one that will prevail. I guess I'm for a multi-pronged approach, which is take it to court, take it to the legislatures, take it to the public, take it to anyone you can take it to, and uh, see which one. Uh, which one works best? Um, some states' uh, legislators are, are sort of open-minded and prone to it, and some they're not. Uh, yeah, actually, there was an interesting one of the Ubers I wrote about uh, just uh, made the news in Georgia as well, a little company called Opternative, which you can use your laptop computer, have an eye examination from your own home. It will fit you for eyeglasses. Uh, and you can, the examination is free, and the eyeglasses cost, uh, I want to say, something like 40 or $50. Um, and the Georgia legislature and governor just slammed that down and uh, banned it from the state. Uh, you know, and, and 
you, you see that sort of thing in a lot of states. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, if, uh, if people want to use that, and by the way, that particular company, every single examination is reviewed by an ophthalmologist. So this is not uh, fly-by-night. It's not um, you know, charlatans or amateurs doing the eyeglass fittings. It's, it's, it's done by MDs. But you can't use it in Georgia now. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's. Um, I, I think that there's, and we're coming up to another hard break, or, or in, in uh, the third segment here. But um, just there's, there's a fine line between, um, uh, I guess, uh, uh, protecting turf versus protecting the uh, consumer. And mm-hmm. uh, it's it's really uh, sometimes a very fuzzy line and very difficult to uh, define. But we'll we'll uh, conclude this and and uh, and uh, one other topic that I'm going to try to get into when we wrap up uh, today's show in the doctor's lounge. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being with us today in the Doctor's Lounge in America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. <clears throat> My guest today is Dr. Robert Grayboys of the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. We've had a very interesting and spirited discussion on uh, a variety of healthcare topics, um, mostly um, that have uh, centered around some of the writings uh, of Dr. Grayboys. He's going to be one of our keynote speakers at the upcoming um, uh, direct primary care conference that we are holding in Dallas on October 14th and 15th. For physicians who are out there, I encourage you to go to the Docs for Patient Care website, d4pcfoundation.org. Look at the conference. Look at our at the agenda. It's going to be an incredible conference that's free and that uh, that has attached to it almost 12 CME Category 1 credits. So, so I think that this is uh, an opportunity that you should not pass up if you are a physician. Um, so... We have, this is a short segment, Bob, and I, I wanted to um, 
go back to your um, Uber article in, in, in one respect and tie another another one of your recent articles to that, which is sort of in, in maybe maybe you can set me straight, but I think a little bit counterintuitive. You you had uh, alluded to the the fact that uh, perhaps the uh, the medical relationship with a patient and a doctor can be uh, uh, reduced to an algorithm in time. or That was based on the, um, the, the meeting that you had with um, health care uh, professionals and experts that you, that you had uh, mentioned. You recently wrote uh, a very interesting article that I, I actually enjoyed quite, quite a bit uh, in U.S. News and World Reports, uh, The Rationality of Fallacy, which... Uh, wow which uh, you uh, uh, talked about statistics, how they can be taken out of context and used to uh, political advantage. And I, and I would uh, maintain that algorithms fall into that uh, same genre of, uh, of data. Can, can uh, you uh, share with us uh, a little bit about that article, which, which I think uh, the listeners would uh, find very interesting? Sure, absolutely. So <clears throat> the Rationalia article came from, um, there's an astrophysicist, famous astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, who, uh, aside from astrophysics, opines on all sorts of things. And one of them is that the, um, I would say that uh, he falls somewhat into the category of scientism, as opposed to just science, which is sort of, uh, I don't know, almost faith-based endorsement of scientific findings. Well, science is something that evolves. It changes. It, uh, it, it adapts. It learns. Uh, what is scientific truth today becomes scientific joke tomorrow. Um, and Dr. Tyson's argument uh, that he tweeted out was that we need... Uh, we need a new country uh, called Rationalia, and its entire constitution is that public policy shall be based on evidence. Well, the problem is that evidence is highly, highly, highly conflicting. Uh, my article links to uh, to a graph that shows, I don't know, studies that show that wine causes cancer, wine prevents cancer, beef causes cancer, <laughs> beef prevents cancer, etc. Et coffee, coffee. I'm, I'm a big yeah. coffee buff. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, this view, which, uh, which I argued uh, we've seen historically over many, many times, uh, in the eugenics movement, the horrible eugenics movement of the late 19th, early 20th centuries, uh, where people in in authority said, "We will look at evidence and then impose it on those, you know, less brilliant souls." Uh, and so, in the United States, that led to mass sterilizations. Uh, on the basis of absolutely, utterly spurious genetic nonsense theory, uh, and worse in Europe. I mean, ultimately, it's what led to the horrors of the Nazi regime. Um, but at the same time, but the the key to that is my argument, and, and I show I show some interesting examples. I love uh, the baseball example that's in there. I did too. Der- um, Jer- Derek Jeter's batting average. Yes, Derek Jeter and David Justice. 
1995, 6, and 7, David Justice had a higher batting average in each of the three years, but if you combine the three years together, uh, Jeter has a higher average, which when I tell that to my students, I can see their brains melt. <laughs> um, and then I give a similar example from... Um, uh, kidney stone treatments. Which I liked as a urologist, by the way. Aha, uh-huh, yes, yeah. It was a really interesting. It's a great article. But what uh, the... So the, the notion is, yeah, what, the, what Tyson's tweet suggested is, there should be this evidence and a cognitive elite shall hand it down and mandate it. Uh, which is contrary to what science, in my view, is all about. Now, algorithms, uh, life's full of algorithms. When, uh, When a doctor does standard treatment practices, it is algorithms, and they call them algorithms. Uh, you know, medical school is basically teaching you a whole lot of algorithms, uh, and those algorithms do change over time as new evidence rolls in. Uh, so the idea here is not that we should, uh, you know, mandate down and fix in place uh, some eternal truths from scientific evidence. Uh, But what I'm talking about is uh, the sort of thing, again, from that recovery record example where there's constant updating. You're looking at the evidence, and the evidence may may change over time. Uh, The evidence may have said at one point, give children aspirin, and then Later on, the evidence said, no, actually, don't give children the aspirin. We've got some new evidence that that contradicts what we used to believe. So it's got to be, the algorithms have to be organic. They have to be uh, subject to, I don't know, competition, put it that way. Uh, And they have to change over time. They have to be adaptable, Um, as opposed to this uh, sort of scientism view that no, there are truths out there, and they are eternal, and uh, and we can order you to use them. So, no, it's a very different thing. So all this is really talking about, the, the whole Uber idea that I wrote about, is that there are certain aspects of the practice of medicine that really can be put into mechanized form. Uh, but there's that other segment that can't, at least not at this point. The human element. The can't human do it. Right. And it's much better to free the doctor from having to do the the equivalent of me doing square roots by hand and, and letting the doctor focus on the places where the doctor's cognition is valuable and uh, uh, essential. The basic, the basic premise is give the doctor tools that they can use mm-hmm. to be a better doctor. Absolutely, and you know, I I, I love the article, the Rationalia article, you know, because to me, what it it said to me is is the uh, fallacy of numbers. I had a, a professor in uh, in my training who uh, liked to joke that eighty seven point three percent of all statistics are made up. Yep, and uh, and so the the thing that the public eats up is this pseudoscience nonsense. Um, you know, ninety seven percent of of climate scientists agree on on uh, on global warming, or or the United States, based on WHO statistics, is number thirty eighth in the world in healthcare outcomes. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that that what uh, what 
your, the importance of, of what you have written about is that um, statistics can be manipulated and um, and and generally are and generally are. So so I want to I want to uh, just wrap up. We're coming pretty close to the end, and and uh, I know you're not a political guy, and I know and I'm not asking you to. Uh, to be one right now, but I'd like you to predict, if you would, um, what will happen in health care, in your opinion, um, if a Hillary Clinton presidency occurs, and what would happen if a Donald Trump presidency occurs? And I really will, will resist that, because I haven't the faintest idea. I honestly <laughs> don't. I can, you know, I, I read what they say. I don't know, you know, but, uh, but there are let me let me say ask you a different way. Sure. Do you do you think that um, the things that you write about seem to uh, um, uh, reflect the uh, innovative spirit of mm-hmm. of the uh, of America of American uh, um, entrepreneurs of uh, trying to free free healthcare. Uh, um, uh, thinking, decision making, um, and and allow allow um, the spirit of of uh, of of entrepreneurism to thrive, and and if that happens, the then then the outcomes um, ultimately will will be better because people will um, get what they they really need when when uh, when there's not a a. Uh, a top-down, heavy-handed uh, approach to making people have what what central planners want is that is that fair? Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair view of uh, the way of my my own viewpoint. So, so do you think that uh, the uh, well, you know what? I think that we're we're running out of time, and I would love to, you know, I I will uh, leave our listeners with this question. I'm going to pose this question at at the Dallas meeting. So, so I'm going to give you a lot of time to think about this, Doctor Robert Gray, boys, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know. By then, by then, we'll have a better idea of of the healthcare positions of both of the candidates. Yeah, I'll just I'll say uh, I think a quick answer to it is we have a bipartisan problem with this. Both uh, both parties tend to favor that fortress that I've talked about. Um, it's the lonelier voices on both sides that are really uh, looking at the the frontier. I, I tend to agree with you, and that's why people like you, people like the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, need to keep doing what they're doing because um, ultimately uh, the the best uh, that we can hope for will be to uh, get government out of the way and let uh, people who have uh, really truly the best um, uh, intentions for, for patients to uh, have uh, the opportunity to innovate. Yep. Well, Dr. Robert Grayboys, thank you so much for joining us today in the Doctor's Lounge, and I'm looking forward to uh, personally meeting you in a couple of months in Dallas, and uh, and I hope that we'll have, be able to have you back here on the show in the future. Anytime you ask, I'll be there. Okay. Thank you again for joining us in the Doctor's Lounge today, and until next time, uh, thank you, and uh, we'll see you uh, in two weeks. Great. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.